This is Masechet Anit Daf Lamed and Daf Lamed Aleph. We will complete the Yesium HaMasechet in this recording. We will begin at uh, eight lines from the top of Lamed Amud Aleph, where it says Erev Tisha Be'av. Erev Tisha Be'av lo yochal adam shnei tavshilin. A person should not eat two cooked dishes on Erev Tisha Be'av. Amar Rav Yehuda, Rav Yehuda said, Lo shanu elam ishe shahot v'olemala. This is only from midday and on. Aval ishe shahot v'olemata mutar. But if it's in the morning, it's permitted. Amar Rav Yehuda, Lo shanu elam b'sudam afsikba. And this is furthermore only relevant to the sudam afsikba. The last meal a person is having before Tisha B'Av, aval b'sudah she'enom afsikba. But if it's a sudah that he's not concluding his eating, it's only an afternoon snack, then mutar, he's allowed to eat whatever he wants. V'tar v'y l'kula. And both of these should be interpreted leniently, utzricha, and are necessary because diash me'inan b'sudam afsikba, v'aminah fil m'shesh ha'ot olamata. Because if I told you that whatever is the meal that you're concluding you're eating before Tisha B'Av, you have these restrictions, you would think even if you decide to start your Tisha B'Av fast at 11 o'clock in the morning on Erev Tisha B'Av, that you would have the restrictions that you had to have less than two dishes and so on. That's why I have to tell you that, that it only applies if you are eating this concluding meal after midday, as most people do. And if I only told you the afternoon, you would think it has to do with the time of the afternoon. And that even during a meal that is not your last meal before Tisha B'Av, you would be restricted by these rules of not having two dishes and so on and so forth. So therefore, therefore, we have to te- uh, it has to tell you that it's only the meal that you're concluding with. So there are two conditions. It's the last meal and it's in the afternoon. There's one brighter that uh, reflects the first language and one that reflects the second. One that reflects the second language. If the person is going to eat another meal on Erev Tisha B'Av besides this one, then he's allowed to eat meat and wine at this one because it's not the last meal. Now that's before we, the custom developed not to eat meat and drink wine for the entire nine days or the entire week before. This is when it was only prohibited during Sudam of Sekedim Lav. And if not, if it's the last meal, then meat and wine are prohibited. This is and this is ignoring the factor of whether it's before or after midday. And then there's one bright that supports the first language. A person should not eat two dishes, and he shouldn't eat meat, and he shouldn't drink wine. says he should change. In other words, whatever he's accustomed to doing, he should do differently. explained that. How does he change it? If he normally has two dishes at the meal, then he should have one. If he normally has ten people at his table, so I should only have five people at his table. In other words, he should just diminish from uh, his usual level of luxury. And if he normally he drinks 10 cups of wine, so he should only drink 5. When is this applicable? Only in the afternoon after midday. Before the 6 hours have passed, meaning in the morning, it's permitted. So that doesn't mention anything about being the last meal. It just mentions the timing. That eating in the afternoon of Erev Tisha B'Av, you're, res- you're subject to certain restrictions, and eating in the morning, you're not. <coughs> so we have two different bright thoughts, and Rav, but basically the Gemara takes both of them. Or Rav Yehuda basically takes both of them, the both leniencies. Says that the only time you're subject to this restriction of not being able to eat meat or drink wine, the only time you have the limit of the two, uh, you have to have only one cooked dish, that's only afternoon. And that's only at the afternoon, and that's only uh, when it's at the final meal before the Shabbat. Tanya Idach, we learned in another bright of the Shabbat, Lo Yochal Adam Shnei Tavshidin Lo Yochal Basav Lo Yishtayayin. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir says that a person at the the meal on Erev Tisha B'av should not have two two cook different cooked dishes, shouldn't eat meat, and shouldn't drink wine. 
וחכמים אומרים ישנה, וחכמים here say, he should change, וממעט בבשר ביין, he should limit or diminish his amount of meat and wine. כיצד, how so, כיצד ממעט? How does he diminish? אם היה רגיל לאכול ליטרה בשר, if normally he, he eats a ליטרה, a certain amount of meat, יאכל חצי ליטרה, he should eat half. אם היה רגיל לשתות לוג יין, ישתה חצי לוג, if he normally drinks a log of wine, he should drink half a log. ואם אינו רגיל כל עיקר אסור, if he doesn't normally have meat and wine altogether, then he shouldn't introduce them in this ערב תשעה באב מיל, of course. רבן שמעון גמליאל אומר, אם היה רגיל לאכול צנון ומליח אחר סעודתו, should be a dog. If he normally eats a radish or salted item after his, uh, after his meal as a kind of a dessert, So he's allowed to do that in the normal way. In other words, he would have like a salted fish or something like that. Um, after the meal, he's allowed to do that. It's not considered meat, is the point. But the, but the idea is that according to this diminishing versus is there a, is there a specific requirement of a restrict, restriction to a certain diet that you're not allowed to have meat and wine and you're only allowed to have one cooked dish? Or is it just a matter of relative to the individual having less of what you usually have? Anything which is because of Tisha B'Av, meaning the Seuda, which is, Rashi says, the meal that is right before uh, Tisha B'Av begins, the last meal before, you can't eat, eat meat, you can't drink wine, and you can't wash. Um, if it's not, um, and here it says, So uh, it should say like it does in the Tosefta, that it's permitted to eat dr- meat, drink wine, and wash at that time because it is not the final meal before Tisha B'Av. <coughs> Now Rashi says, what does it mean? Kol she'ino m'shubu Tisha B'Av kegon su'uda. In other words, either the meal that you're not the last meal of Tisha B'Av before Tisha B'Av, but any other meal on that, after, on that uh, day before, on Erev Tisha B'Av, or a meal that you are preparing for any other fast besides Tisha B'Av, then you're allowed to wash, you're allowed to eat meat, you're allowed to drink wine. Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi Omer, Mishumavi, Ibkosha Shemutar Lechol, Basar, Mutar Lechot. As long as you're allowed to eat meat, you're allowed to wash. And uh, the way that the Gra has it on the side, Kol Shash Mutar Lechol, he says, That, uh, that this, it says, מותר לאכול בשר, he erases it. He just says it should say, כל שעה שמותר לאכול. Meaning, as long as you're allowed to eat. And, that's, and he says, that's what Rashi has. ולא גרסינן בשר, we don't say meat. Meaning, as long as you're allowed to eat, you're allowed to wash. So even at the Sudam of Seket, you're still allowed to wash. Because it, it has nothing to do with the restriction on meat and wine. In other words, uh, you might think that because washing is something which gives you a fresh feeling even afterwards, so therefore you should not be able to start, you should not be able to wash beginning with, from the Sudam of Seket. But saying, no, as long as you're allowed to eat and drink, you're allowed to, uh, you're allowed to wash. And that means even during a time when you're not allowed to eat meat or drink wine, such as at the Sudam of Seket, you could still wash. Rabbi Yishmael, that's what Rabbi Yishmael Rabbi Yishmael said. Now, Tanu Rabbanan, the Rabbi said, Kol mitzvot and Agod Be'evel, all mitzvot that, that, are, uh, that are practiced in Avelut, in a state of mourning, Agod B'Tisha B'Av, they also apply in Tisha B'Av. Asur B'Chilav B'Shtiyah, you're not allowed to eat or, drink, eat, eat or drink. Now, obviously, that doesn't, is not one of the factors of, uh, uh, that, that apply to mourning, because a mourner is allowed to eat and drink, but that's an addition. But, U'Besichah B'Nilat Sandal, not supposed to anoint himself, not supposed to wear leather shoes, U'Betashmish Abita, or have marital relations. V'asrui Lekorot B'Torah, B'Nevim U'Bechtuvim, he's not allowed to read the Torah, Navi or Ketuvim, V'Eshnot B'Mishnah, he can't study the Mishnah B'Talmud, U'Bemidrash, not allowed to study the Talmud or the Midrash, U'Bahalachot, U'Bahagadot, not allowed to study Halacha or Agada, which is the, the, 
stories of the Gemarant but he's allowed to read parts of the Tanakh where he's not familiar with them, so they're difficult for him, or to learn Mishnah, this is, Lishnot means to learn Torah Sheba in an area that he's not familiar with, and he's allowed to read the Kinot, the book of Yehov, and also the bad stuff in Yirmiyahu, all the terrible predictions or descriptions of the destruction. Okay? Uh, in our Gemara it says Betelin. In our text it says that the children don't go to school. But as the Gemara points out, no, it should say Enan Betelin. According to this opinion, they don't cancel school for the children. Why does that make sense? Because according to this opinion, it goes by tsar, it goes by pain. So that's why you're allowed to learn something that you're not accustomed to, that's not easy for you, that's not pleasant for you, because it's difficult, it's challenging, and it's a type of a pain. And similarly for kids, they don't love going to school. It's a pain for them. So their learning is not an enjoyable learning yet, because they're not at that level yet. So they can go to school according to this. That's according to the Tanakhama. However, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Af eno kore b'makom sheno ragil ikrot, eno shenev b'makom sheno ragil ishnot. You also cannot read Torah even in an area that you're not familiar with. And you're not allowed to read Torah Shebaal Peh even in an area that you're not familiar with. Aval kore ube Iyov v'kinot v'dvarim harim shebir miyaw. I agree that the person can read Iyov and the kinot, the lamentations, and dvarim harim shebir miyaw, and all of the negative predictions and descriptions in Yirmiyaw, v'tinokot shebet rabban betelin bo. And the children of the schools have to stop learning Torah because mishum shenemar pekudei Hashem esharim, yisharim mesamachilev, because it says that the, the laws of Hashem are straight. They, they make the heart rejoice. In other words, according to this opinion, any learning which is not related directly to Tisha B'Av is prohibited um, because learning in and of itself is something that's misamech. So even though it's true that the children might not love it, the fact that they're engaging in an activity which is called misamechilev is not appropriate. It's a distraction from the morning. And part of the morning is that nobody learns, everybody only focuses on inyanei tisha b'av, as opposed to the Tanakhama who said that anything that's a pain is allowed. So even a learning that's a pain or sending the kids to school since it's a pain for them is allowed on tisha b'av, according to Rabbi Yudan. No, anything that's not related to the theme of tisha b'av and his involvement with Torah, even though that for that individual personally, they're not loving it because it's very difficult or because they're a child or because the content is difficult. Still, it's a davar misameach, something that makes you happy and therefore you should not be engaged in it on on Tisha B'Av. Lo yuchal basav lo yishtayayin. Person doesn't eat meat or drink wine at the Sudam of Seketanat. It says, Avalu ochel b'u basar maliach. Shodayam b'kito. He can eat basar maliach. He can eat salted meat. In other words, it is not fresh meat. And he can also uh, drink, yayin b'kito. He can drink like basically grape juice. It's just starting to ferment. Basar maliach. Ad kama amarav chinab kanam mishmed shmuel. Kol zman kishlami. Um, the way that he has here is Kishlamim, Kozman Kishlamim, and the text is corrected on the side to say Shehu Kishlamim. In other words, as long as it's like the Shlamim, and Rashi explains what does that mean, Kishlamim, and again, every time we say Rashi, we're talking about the pseudo Rashi that we have in Masachetanit, which is not the real Rashi, but in, in any case, how long is it that Havei Basar Gamud Loeva Basar Maliach? How long is meat considered meat and not salted meat? As long as it's like the Shlamim, since the Shlamim you're only allowed to keep for two days and one night in between, because when you have a Korban Shlamim, you have two days to eat it with the night in between. So uh, after you get to the third day, 
So uh, it's already considered that if you salted it to the point that you're eating it already on the third day after it was slaughtered, that's already considered to be salted meat. And according to that, you could eat like bologna and cold cuts and stuff like that at the Saddam of Sekhet. Of course, nowadays we don't even eat meat for the nine days before Tisha B'Av, so this is not relevant to us in our custom. But that's <laughs> a person could drink grape juice, meaning the wine that is just starting to ferment and it is not uh, out really fully uh, processed yet. As long as it's still fermented, Thing, that's called the ayin migito, wine from the wine press, from the you know from the grape press. Tana ayin to says em b'shem gilui that as long as wine is fermenting, you don't have to worry about leaving it uncovered. That maybe a snake is going to go into it because the snake will be turned off by the process of fermentation that's going on in there. Vekamet sisato gimel yamim, and how long is that? For three days. In other words, it takes three days before we say <clears throat> that the wine really starts to. Uh, uh, to become uh, a real yain. So it's too sweet still um, uh, for the first few days, and during that time, uh, it's still considered to be uh, uh, allowed to drink it, even at the of second, because it's not wine yet. Once it reaches uh, past three days, we already say that it's considered genuine wine. This was the custom of Rabbi Yudab Rabbi Eli. On Erev Tishabav, they would bring him dry bread, with salt, Yoshev. He would sit between the oven and the stove. In other words, he would sit on the kitchen floor. Basically, and he would eat it and he would drink water. And he was like someone who is dead was lying before him. In other words, someone who is mourning over a dead relative. The Rambam brings this and all of the Rishonim really bring this to say that even though there were technicalities about how the, the Sudam of Sekhet should be conducted, where you're allowed to have one dish, a cooked dish, not two. You're not supposed to have meat or wine, but you could have uh, salted meat. You have this. All of these things were only for the Hamon Am, or that you're allowed to eat uh, all of these things in the morning of Tisha, uh, of, of Tisha B'Av, just not in the afternoon, or in the afternoon, but just not at the Sudam of Sekhet. All of these rules, the way the Rambam presents it, all of those leniencies are only true uh, for the Hamon Am, for the regular person. But the person who's on a high level shouldn't really be eating any cooked dishes, shouldn't re- really be eating, uh, uh, and, and it would apply all day long, not just to the afternoon, not just to the Sudam of Sekhet. And that's the example of Rabbi Yudab Rabbi Eli, the Rambam points out. So, and he says, Me'olam, his whole life, he never had a filo tavshil shel even a lentil dish he never ate on Erev Tisha B'Av unless it was on Shabbat. Meaning that their custom was that they didn't have any cooked dish the entire day of Erev Tisha B'Av because they didn't avail themselves of any of these leniencies mentioned here in the Gemara that are really for the average person. In a place where people work on Tisha B'Av, you can do it. If you're in a place where they don't do it, then you shouldn't. Everywhere, should not be working on Tisha B'Av because it's a disrespect to the day. Says everyone should make himself like a Tamil Chacham and respect Tisha B'Av and spend the day doing Teshuvah and not be involved in any kind of uh, any kind of Melachan that day. A person should always make himself like a Tamil Chacham in this respect so that he will really uh, experience the suffering. And I, I think that that means because a lot of people like to go to, I'm just saying this myself, but I think the, the, the idea is that a lot of people like to go to work on fast days because it helps them pass the day quicker and they don't really reflect on the day. They don't really... Uh, they don't really um, experience the day so much, and they like that because it takes their mind off of it. He's saying, no, the person should not work, so that they actually have to reflect on the reason why they're fasting and maybe do Teshuvah. Tanya Idach, another brighter said, Rabban Shabon ben Gamliel Omer, Kol ha'ochil v'shotev v'tishabav, kidu ha'ochil v'shotev yom ha'kippurim. Anybody who eats and drinks on, on Tishabav, it's like eating and drinking on Yom ha'kippurim, on Yom Kippur itself, because it's such a serious 
violation, it's such a serious uh, a transgression. Rabbi Akiva Akiva said, and it says on the side that it should say, uh, oh, they switch according in the reef and the rosh. It says on the side they switch. They say that that first statement was Rabbi Akiva, and this is Rabban Shemab Gamliel. Either way. Anybody who does work on Tisha B'Av will never see a sign of blessing from that, meaning from that particular say Anybody who does Melacha on Tisha B'Av and doesn't mourn over Yerushalayim will never see the joy of Yerushalayim because he didn't, if, you're not, if you don't mourn the loss, you're not going to celebrate the joy. Because it says, uh, celebrate uh, with Yerushalayim and uh, and uh, be joyous with it. Kol oavea, all those who love it. Rejoice with it, rejoicing all those who mourned over it. In other words, only those who mourn are going to rejoice. And it makes sense because only a person who mourns over Yerushalayim and understands the value of Yerushalayim and therefore is distressed and distraught and, and, uh, and sad over the destruction of Yerushalayim, only that person really appreciates what Yerushalayim is about and therefore will rejoice in its uh, reconstruction when it's rebuilt. <laughs> that anybody who eats meat and drinks wine on Tisha B'Av, which is obviously even a further uh, level of disrespect. In other words, not only does he not fast, but he even eats in a joyous, luxurious manner, uh, he fulfills the Pasuk that says, their sin will be on their bones. Uh, she says, Me, um, now, the, the, uh, it's interesting that, that that's the pshat of the, uh, of the Gemara, that the Gemara is saying a person eats and drinks on Tisha B'Av, eats meat and drinks wine, meaning it's tr- that that sin will be on their bones, that it's such a terrible sin. The way that Rashi interprets it in order to make it make uh, a, bit, a little bit better is that it's talking about an Erev Tisha B'Av at the Sudam of Seket. It doesn't mean that the person ate meat and drank wine on Tisha B'Av itself, because I guess once you're already violating Tisha B'Av anyway, what difference does it make what you eat? But it's also possible to learn as the Pshat that there are different levels. A person can violate Tisha B'Av just because they want to eat, and another person can make a party out of it. That's much worse. As I had mentioned earlier in the earlier Gemara, that they had a halacha that applied in the times of the Gemara that doesn't, isn't really practiced anymore of turning over the beds during, during morning. They would turn the bed upside down and sleep on it like that. They said to Rabbi Yehudah, what about pregnant and nursing women that have to fast on Tisha B'Av? How are they going to sleep on their upside down bed? I'm talking about somebody who's able to do it. Someone who's able to do it should turn over the bed, just like a mourner turns over the bed. And... Uh, <clears throat> And uh, sleep that way because uh, it's a sign of mourning. So they, uh, so they, they said to him, uh, what about the pregnant nursing woman? He said, yeah, only the person who can do it is obligated. According to one brayta, Reb Yehuda agreed with the Chachamim when it comes to somebody who isn't able to do it, that they don't have to sleep on the turned over bed. And the Chachamim agreed with Reb Yehuda if somebody can. The real machloket between them was other beds in the house. Because when it comes to a mourner, not only does he turn over his own bed, but he turns over all the beds in the house, even the ones he doesn't sleep on, as a sign of mourning. Okay, because it's sign of the day. There's, the Gemara discusses in Masechet Moed Katam what the reason is, uh, the idea that, you know, this is where a person is created. The bed represents reproduction, creation, and it's the turning over of it is the destruction of the person, uh, the loss of the person, and, and death. Um, there are other interpretations of it as well, but basically, on, when, a, when a person would be in mourning, they would turn over all the beds in the house. And uh, so that's the, according to this, that's the Machlok. Rabbi Yudah is saying you have to turn over all the beds in the house. The Chachamim are saying, no, just your own bed. 
right? But then along comes Rava and says, no, Amar Rava ilchita ketanat didan velo du lo chachamim kolika. We don't go like that. According to our Tana, the chachamim didn't agree with Rabbi Yudah at all. There's no kfiat mita at all. You don't have to turn over the bed at all for Tisha B'Av. Not just that the individual, it's not just a machloket about whether you have to turn over every bed in the house or only your own. It's a machloket altogether whether kfiat mita is applicable. It's not applicable at all according to the chachamim and that's why we don't do it on Tisha B'Av. Now, nowadays we don't even do it for regular morning because it fell out of practice for various reasons. I'm Rabbi Shimon. Ben Gamliel, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel said, There were no happier days for the Jewish people than two Be'av and Yom Kippur Bishlam Yom Kippurim Mishum did Beis Lichav Umchila Yom Shenit Nobal Luchot Achronot. Now we understand why Yom Kippurim is a happy day because we get forgiveness and and absolution from Hashem for all of our sins, and also it was the day that the second Luchot were given. There was a reconciliation between the Jewish people and Hashem after the after the sit of the golden calf. El Tu Be'av Mai. But what's the significance of Tu Be'av? I'm Rav Yehuda Mar Shmuel Yom Shuot Roshvatim Lavozibaze because there was a period of time where the Shvatim did not intermarry with one another because of the apportionment of the uh, of the uh, Nachala, uh, of the inheritance of the land. And we remember that when the Benot Tzilofchad inherited the land of their father, they, they argued, uh, on, they advocated for themselves to be able, to, since, they were, since their father only had daughters, that they should inherit. But then the rule was that then they have to only marry members of their own tribe, because if they marry members of another tribe, they're going to basically ba- bring territory from their tribe's assets and bring it to another tribe. Um, and that wouldn't be right. So they had to, they had to uh, marry in within their own Shevet. And eventually they canceled that halacha. That halacha was canceled. And that was a happy day. My Rosh, what was the Drosha? Because they interpreted the Pasuk. And this is what Hashem commanded to the daughters of Tzlofchad to mean that only in that generation. This was the day, Tuba'av, was the day that the Bnei Binyamin were permitted to remarry again with the Jewish people. Because after the story of Pilegesh Begiva, which is a horrible story, where there was a terrible rape and assault of a woman in the territory of Binyamin, and the Shevet Binyamin, instead of handing over the criminals, defended them and there was a civil war and then because it was such a horrible civil war and so many deaths all of the other Shvatim made an oath that they would not allow their daughters to marry anyone from Binyamin and of course this put the uh, Shevet Binyamin into an existential crisis where they might have been completely wiped out because there was nobody for them to marry and they wouldn't be able to continue their line so uh, so but eventually they cancelled it and they reconciled with Binyamin my Darush what was the Rosham Rav because they said our oath was only for us not for our children meaning the next generation is now allowed to intermarry with Binyamin it was only a one generation uh, a one generation restriction that we accepted upon ourselves uh, and then we see what does it say on the side it should say Rav Dimi Bar Yosef Amarav Nachman as opposed to what we have in front of us um, instead of Amar Barchana, Amar Biochanan. Um, that's what it tells us. Okay. Either way, Yom Shekalubo Metemidbar. Another reason why Tubav was significant was because that was the last day that the generation of the of the Midbar that had to die in the desert before the Jews were able to go into Eretz Israel. The last people died on Tubav and and Damar uh, uh, because the Master said. For that whole period of time that they were waiting for the first generation of Jews to die out who were, who were punished that they weren't allowed to go into Eretz Israel. For that whole period of time, Hashem did not speak to Moshe Rabbeinu. 
that when Moshe Rabbeinu recounts the story, he says, after everyone from that generation died, then Hashem spoke to me, right? At that point, um, <clears throat> at that point, the uh, Hashem spoke to me, finally, Rashi says, Right? <clears throat> that then the Dibur came to me personally again. Um, and uh, Rashi gives another interpretation that maybe he had some kind of prophecy, but not direct prophecy. But the point was that something was lacking in the Nebuah of Moshe Rabbeinu for all those years, and it was restored on the day um, when uh, the, the, the dead of the previous generation uh, uh, stopped dying. And the reason why it was a holiday wasn't just because they stopped dying, but because Nivu'ah returned to Moshe Rabbeinu. That's the point. That that's the, really the happy occasion that, uh, uh, that took place on that day. Ulama Ula said, another reason, Yom Shebitel Hoshea ben Elah prosdiot sheoshiv yarovam ben nevat ala dochim, shelo yelo yisalo regel. Vamar lezjotu yalu. That a later king, we know that one of the things that Yerovam ben Nevat, Yerovam was the first king of Malchut Yisrael that separated from the Malchut Yehuda. And one of the things he did was he placed guards to prevent Jews in Malchut Yisrael from going to Yerushalayim for the three holidays because he didn't want them to reaffirm their allegiance to the Beit HaMikdash and by extension to Malchut Yehuda. And at a certain point, Hoshea ben Elah, a later king, decided to alleviate that restriction. He didn't tell the people to go to Yerushalayim for Ali al but he didn't stop them. He said, choose wherever you want to go. And uh, even though he wasn't a good king, um, he just allowed the people freedom to do what they wanted. Okay? So, uh, and, that's, and they learned that from the Pasuk that even though he did evil in the eyes of Hashem, it wasn't as bad as the... Uh, as the Malchei Israel, it wasn't as bad as the, uh, as the other kings. Um, and in that way, because he allowed them at least to go to Yerushalayim if they wanted. So that was a happy day. It was the day that the, those who were killed in the Beitar revolt were allowed to finally be buried. The day that those who were killed in Beitar were allowed to be buried. That's when they instituted in Yavne the fourth Bachav Berkat Amazon Atov Ametiyev Atov Shelo Yisroichu. We thank Hashem for being good that they, the bodies did not become uh, pu- did not become uh, putrid, did not uh, de- decay. Not only that, but Hashem was the Metiv was the goodness was that they were allowed to be buried. Finally, they were able to be buried in a respectable manner after a long time of the Jews being prevented access to the bodies. Rabbi Rav Yosef, Yosef said, This was the Tubav was a day that they would stop uh, cutting wood for the Malachah. was a time that now it was not as hot anymore in the summer. And therefore, the wood would not be as dry and as good for firewood. So they stopped cutting trees for the marcha, for the um, for the Beit Hamikdash use at the, on that day. Detanya, as we learned in Abayta, Rabbi Eliezer Gadol Omer, starting on the fifteenth of Av, the sun's strength diminishes. And so, therefore, they wouldn't cut down trees because they were no longer uh, they were no longer. Um, uh, uh, they were no longer as, as high quality anymore because it was not because the weather wasn't as good. This was the day that they broke the sickle, meaning they gave up on working on the trees starting on Tuba'av. From that day on, anybody who would increase 
would have an increased life and anybody who would not increase would be gathered in. Now, what does he mean? He means since it's a time where people were diminishing work in the fields and the nights are getting longer, so therefore a person should spend more time at night learning Torah because nights are getting longer. That's why he says, Therefore the nights become longer than the days and therefore a person should increase the learning of Torah and that will give him a longer life. And if he doesn't, he's going to be gathered in. What does it mean to be gathered in? Um, it says, Tanei Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef said, Ma'i Yosef, I'm Rav Yosef, so that they, they, there are different girsaot here, but again, the point is that his mother is going to bury him, means to say that he's going to die young. Because he doesn't take advantage of the extra time now, he's not working as much in the fields, and the nights are getting longer, and therefore, uh, it's a time where a person should be investing more time in their learning. <coughs> and if they don't take advantage of it, it's a shame. And they, they're held responsible for the waste of time <clears throat> that they could have been using for more noble purposes. But that's the point. So you have a whole bunch of reasons for Tuba Av to be a significant holiday. The first one was that it was the day that the Shvatim finally were always allowed to intermarry with each other, that the decree that was uh, from the time of Benot Zlofchad was canceled. One is that the decree after Pilegesh Begiv'ah that Binyamin could not marry in with the other Shvatim was canceled. One is that Moshe Rabbeinu's Nevo'ah returned because all of the members of Dora Midbar died. That was another reason for it to be a good day. Another reason was because the uh, the sentries that were preventing Jews from going to Aliyah Regel from Malchut Yisrael were removed. That's another reason for it to be happy. Another reason is because that was the day that the uh, those who were killed and slaughtered in, in Beitar were able to be buried and that's another reason for it to be a day that we're thankful and another reason is that that was a day that they would stop cutting down the trees for that year um, the significance of that could just be that um, that uh, <clears throat> in and of itself it was a happy day because they no longer had to uh, uh, to cut down the trees but that doesn't seem uh, to be uh, a reason in and of itself for celebration, unless you say that they, uh, you know, that's a happy time because the, the cutting down the trees is not a pleasant thing. We want, and so therefore, it's happy time for the trees. And then finally, that the nights are getting longer, and since the nights are getting longer, there's more of an impetus to learn to why. Could I was trying to connect those two things and saying maybe the fact that because uh, they seem to be uh, together, they seem to be presented here together, not uh, <clears throat> because Rav Manasha says they called it the day that they break the sickle, and then. From then on, if you add learning at night, it's because there's more hours at night, you'll have a longer life. So it seems like those two things are connected. In other words, the fact that they were pulling back on some of their work in the fields also gave them more energy to learn Torah at night. But anyhow, these are all the reasons why Tuba Av was a special time. And then we talked about how on Tuba Av and Yom Kippur, the girls would come out <clears throat> and, they would, and people would pick their spouses. Don't know what went on. But, and, and they would each get... They would all borrow clothing from one another rather than each person wearing their own clothing so nobody would be embarrassed. A princess would ask from the daughter of the Queen Gadol, the uh, daughter of the Queen Gadol would ask from the assistant Queen Gadol's daughter, and the daughter of the uh, assistant Queen Gadol would ask from the daughter of the who was the Kohen who was anointed for going out to war. And the daughter of the Meshach Milchama of the war Kohen would borrow from regular Kohen. And every Jew would borrow from each other. So they wouldn't embarrass, uh, so that, uh, that nobody would feel uh, embarrassed um, 
that they didn't have a uh, you know that they didn't have the right thing to wear. Nobody would be uh, would feel uncomfortable because everyone was borrowing from one another, and it worked out that way. So the uh, and then it says and the word yitbayish doesn't really make uh, really seem to fit um, on the side. The word yitbayish is changed to lo livayish because we don't want to cause them embarrassment. Amar, uh, and then we said that the, all of these whenever you would borrow the clothing you would have to bring it to the mikveh first because you don't really know where it's been even those that were folded up and placed in a drawer you don't know what they were used for last so before you use it even though you're borrowing it and it's a very nice thing you still have to put it to the mikveh to make sure that it's not to make it says that the girls would go out dancing in the uh, <coughs> in the um, vineyards all of the bachelors would go there to check out what was going on. The girls who were, uh, who had a good family would say, they would say, you know, check out our family and base your decision on family. We have an expanded version. And the beautiful girls would say, you should look at our beauty. Because a person wants a beautiful wife. And the ones that had good families, so the Milchasot, the ones that had good family lineage, would say, look at our family lineage because you're going to have children and you want your children to have a good name. The very ugly ones, the ugly ones would say, uh, take your, make your purchase the Shem Shemayim, meaning marry your wife not for the external things, for uh, social reasons, social status, or for good looks, but just the Shem Shemayim to have a family, as long as you beautify your wife with gold. In other words, after that, you'll be able to, uh, in other words, they would say, uh, Rashi says, Give us jewelry after. In other words, that uh, take us, but don't take us for granted. You still have to treat us well and give us beautiful things to wear and so on and so forth. In the future, Hashem will make a circle dance for all the tzaddikim. He's going to stand in the middle in Gan Eden. In the Garden of Eden, and everyone will point at Hashem, uh, who's sit, standing in the middle, or sitting in the middle. And we'll say on that day, uh, that this is our God that we uh, hoped for, and uh, that we yearned for, and He will save us, and... Uh, uh, that the uh, this is Hashem that we hoped for him and he will save us. This is Hashem that we hoped for and we will celebrate and be glad in his salvation. In other words, the idea is that in the future Hashem will be the, the awareness of Hashem will be so clear it will be like he's sitting in the middle and we're all pointing at him by uh, with our finger that's why it says behold this is our God in other words the clarity the perception of Hashem's presence will be so clear will be so elevated in the future much more than what it is today and of course this drasha is building on the idea of the circle dance of the girls with the uh, uh, attracting the boys but uh, to end on an uplifting and spiritual uh, note, we speak about Hashem's presence being revealed to the tzaddikim in the future. There's also an element here of connects the idea of Ta'anit and the idea of Tisha B'Av. The Tisha B'Av, of course, is a time of Hester Panim when we're thinking about Hashem being hidden and Hashem's influence being uh, difficult to discern and we feel very distant from Hashem and we should be reassured that ultimately that one day Hashem's presence will be very clearly manifest. All will recognize and celebrate 
our closeness to him. Hadran alach v'shoshah parkim u'slik ala masechet ta'anit. That is the conclusion of masechet ta'anit. Be'ezrat Hashem. Our shiur tomorrow will begin masechet megillah.